Over the past several months, we've been moving through the book of Leviticus. We come to the first eight chapters of Leviticus chapter 11 this morning. So if you place your bulletin, bulletin insert into Leviticus chapter 11 as a bookmark, our complementary passage is Acts chapter 10. And we'll begin reading in verse 9. So with your Bibles open to Acts chapter 10, in honor of God's word, please stand. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, hear God's word. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in the first verse and continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes, help us understand, see, and wonder. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So I don't think I have to convince you that the world has evil in it. I don't think if I open with that proposition that I'm going to get pushback. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no evil in the world. I'm sorry. Turn on the news. Turn on anything you want. You can look outside. Pull up to any random street corner. And you see people that are in despair and distress. This is a broken and evil world and the effects of sin are all around us. And beloved, the gospel, the Bible, Christianity is the most practical, the most relevant message that anyone could ever hear. And the problem is that we tend 
to not realize the answer when it's staring us in the face. I want to look briefly this morning at three things. First is the grand tapestry. The, the, the setting of this passage within the grand narrative that we're focusing on. The setting of this passage within the big story. And the second point is this section of the big story. And this section will begin here with chapter 11 and it will go through chapter 18. So the grand tapestry, then this section, which is chapter 11 through 18, and then these verses verses 1 through 8. So I hope you see the progression there as we're moving forward. We're starting with the biggest picture, and then we're going to come down and end with these first eight verses and hopefully show not only how they connect to the overall picture, but how they speak to you and me today. So the grand tapestry, what's going on here? There's this beautiful narrative that bridges three books of the Pentateuch. It begins in Exodus chapter 18, and it closes in Numbers chapter 9. It's divided into seven sections. There are seven sections of what we call the Sinai Covenant. It specifically is a marriage covenant. God in Exodus chapter 18 says to Israel, I'm bringing you on the wings of eagles unto myself, and he invites them into his chamber, and he gives to them the marriage covenant. Later in Israel's history, Hosea will say, Israel has committed adultery. Their falling away from God is always pictured in the context of marital unfaithfulness. And the question is then, when did they get married? And where they got married is this section that we're looking at. Exodus chapter 18 to Numbers chapter 9. It's divided into seven sections, and each section has this interesting progressive revelation of God, an image of God. We call it a theophany, an appearance of God. And so our first section, which is Exodus 18 to chapter 20, is this marriage covenant. It contains what you and I know as the Ten Commandments, but there's more to it there. And the theophany at the end, you'll see in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 21, is thick darkness. That's what's seen of God after the marriage covenant, is thick darkness. Then the second section is the judicial laws, and that runs from Exodus chapter 20 through chapter 24. And it's how we are to treat one another. And at the end of that, there's a theophany, which is in chapter 24, verses 9 and 10, where Moses and the elders see the feet of God. The third section is the section on worship laws in chapters 25 through 31. And that closes with the appearance of God to Moses. When Moses says, I want to see your face, and God says, you can't see my face, no one will see my face and live, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll show you my back. And he passes before him and declares his name, the glory of his name, the reflection of God in his name, the back of God is the appearance there after these worship laws. The fourth section, chapters 35 through 39, you'll remember, are all those intricate instructions for how to build a tabernacle. And at the close, 
in chapter 40, the close of the book of Exodus, the tabernacle is complete and the glory of God has entered in. But Moses is outside. And so Leviticus takes up the story, and the fifth section is, how do we get in? How do we get into the tabernacle where the glory of God is? And so we have this section on sacrifices. And that's basically what we've just concluded. This fifth section is the one that is just concluded at the end of chapter 9. And if you will remember, what was the theophany at the end of chapter 9? The glory of God. Remember Moses said, do these things and you will behold the glory of God. The glory of God is the fire that comes out of his mouth across the mercy seat and kindles the burnt offering. Man, that's visual. That's striking. <laughs> that's, some, that's some impressive cinematography. The vision that God gives here of what he is doing is intended to impress upon you the seriousness of it, because the very first thing that happens in chapter 10, seven days, five men are being set apart for the priesthood. Five men are being given this great calling from God. Aaron and his four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, They are being given this calling to lead the people of God, and the first thing they do is blow it. Day eight, the first day that God takes his hand off the wheel, Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire. Moses, Eleazar, and Ithamar, all three, fail to eat the sacrifice of the sin goat. All five of our first priests blew it on the first day of ministry. So we see that fire again come forth across the mercy seat. Burn Nadab and Abihu without touching their cloaks. And we see God in his mercy turn to Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar and look upon their heart. And show mercy and compassion. That's the big picture. That's what brings us down to this section. That's the story thus far. The second point is, where does this story go? Because we've got this beautiful story of reconciliation. We've got this beautiful story of healing. We've got this beautiful story of how to get back into the garden. And the first thing we do when we get back in the garden is blow it. The very first thing we do. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The first thing we do is blow it. And so now we pick up in this section. Begins in chapter 11, the chapter before us this morning. And it closes in chapter 18. We pick up with a treatment of sin. Because we're confronted pretty graphically with the reality of it. The first thing we see, Leviticus chapter 10, day 8, the first day after their seven-day preparation and installation, the first thing we see is sin. And so now it's as if Moses goes, okay, now that you've seen it, (laughs) 
now that you've seen how impossible it is, let's have a discussion of it. Let's talk about it. What is this thing called sin? And we're going to talk about sin from chapters 11 through chapter 18. Now, I would not be... Uh, I, I, I could understand, I could, I could appreciate if you go, oh my goodness, we're about to spend six months in passages about gross this and gross that and sin this and sin that and these things dripping and gross. Please no. <laughs> could we move on, please? What I'd like for you to do is listen to the overarching thematic pictures. And I'm going to show you that as we get to this these eight verses. So, this is not all introduction. It's an introduction to the section. We're now in the second point of the sermon. <laughs> so just keep it on the road map. There are themes that God is teaching us about sin in these verses and in these very, very strange laws and regulations. And basically, and this comes from Andrew Bonar, the Scottish uh, uh, minister that, that I very much appreciate from the 1800s. Andrew Bonar says, if, if you want to just kind of lay out the next few chapters, here's the main thing. Chapter 11 reminds us that sin is everywhere all around us. Chapter 12 speaks of how sin is transmitted, how sin is communicated from one to another. Chapters 13 and 14 focus us on how ugly sin is and how we can conquer sin. And then finally, chapter 15 deals with the problem of original sin. And so you can actually see it's a helpful treatise. It's a helpful treatise, but it's done through visual imagery. And so this is where we're now going to shift to our third and final point. I hope you're following me through this. <laughs> Big picture, Sinai covenant, seven sections, glory of God. We're now picking up with section six of seven. Narrower picture, section six, runs from chapter 11 to chapter 18 and really focuses on sin. The progression of it. Now, third point, final point, let's look at verses one through eight. And I want to ask this question. All right? What does God have against camels, rock badgers, rabbits, and pigs? That's your starting point. What does God have against camels, rock badgers, rabbits, and pigs? And the answer is, of course, not a thing. <laughs> he created them. He gave them under Adam's care. The point is not that these unclean animals are inferior in their being. It's not that it's sinful to eat rabbit meat, but it's okay to eat chicken. <laughs> it's not 
that camel meat is going to kill you, but bacon, or I guess bacon is bad. Anyway, it's not a dietary thing. There, there is no, there is no explanation. Did you hear any explanation in there? Stay away from the camel, for if thou dost eat the camel, then thou mightst have this outcome. No, there's nothing. It's just don't eat it. It's unclean. Two things I think I want to draw to your attention from that. Number one is it's the exact same command that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. He just said, don't eat it. (laughs) That's all he said. Just don't eat it. Of course, what do we do? (gasps) So I got to know what camel meat tastes like. I gotta know what rabbit tastes like. Bacon, bacon, I gotta have my bacon. That's not the point. The point is, God said, this is unclean, don't do it. And the first thing we do is say, but why? What's his reason? Here's what I think is the reason. And I'm drawing this largely from Andrew Bonar, but, but it, it's, it's, I think, true. If we all agree that God doesn't have anything against camels, rock badgers, pigs, and rabbits, I hope we can agree. Nothing, nothing morally wrong about camels, rock badgers, pigs, and rabbits. What do they have in common then? And I think what we can say, a thing we can say, if not the thing that we can say, but a thing that we can say is that your average nomad wandering around in the desert is going to run across camels, rock badgers, and rabbits at least every day, and quite possibly pigs. The point is this, both in the clean and unclean laws and in the earlier laws regarding kosher, what you can eat and what you can't eat, the point is this, it's a reminder to the child of God that sin is all around me. And as he goes through his day and as he sees that camel, he's going to say there's contamination. As he sees that rabbit bouncing out of the rock, He's going to want to flee from sin as that rabbit flees from him. As he sees that rock badger ducking back into the rock. It's a constant reminder of how sin permeates everything. Now here's the twisted nature of it. Of your sin. Of my sin. If you and I are ever so careful about our clean and unclean, do we not end up like Peter, resisting God's grace to others? Isn't that exactly what God used the entire clean, unclean thing for in Acts 10? If we're ever so careful and punctilious about our faithfulness and obedience and tithing our mint and anise and cumin 
and we miss the point of it, which is that sin is everywhere. Sin contaminates it all. And if sin contaminates it all, then, beloved, it drives you to the mercy seat. If you suddenly come away from this nonsense, with a nonsense rather, if you suddenly come away from this with a nonsense idea that somehow abstaining from camels and rock badgers and rabbits and pigs makes you right with God or anything else that you would abstain from. If you think that's the point, you're missing the mercy seat. You're missing what God intended this for. A constant reminder throughout our day of sin and brokenness. Let me make it more practical. (laughs) Next time you pull up to a stoplight and you look over and you see somebody there with a cardboard sign, does it drive you to the mercy seat? Or does it drive you to point a finger? That's what the clean and unclean laws are for. Beloved, you and I will know this most intensely and most beautifully when our life is centered on the mercy seat. That's what this was all intended for. That was God's point. All along, by showing us that sin is everywhere. That the brokenness is all around you. By showing us, and he will show us as we move on, that brokenness is not external, beloved. It's a manifestation of me. And it's a manifestation of you. But as he shows us this sin, the purpose of it is to drive us to mercy. It's to drive us to Christ. It's to find our identity here. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting about these clean and unclean food laws is they did require a daily sacrifice. What's the other common element? between camels and rabbits and rock badgers and pigs. If we can assume a rock badger counts as a gerbil or vice versa, whatever the thing is down in uh, South America that that they love, all of them are good eating. I've had camel, I've had rabbit, (laughs) I had bacon this morning. All of them require a daily intentionality, don't they? This is not for food. This is not for me. As a child of God, this is not what I am going to sustain my life on. It requires a constant intentionality. And I'm guessing there's more than one time that a... Israeli 
follower of God found himself wondering, do I have enough meat to feed my family for the next day? And saw a couple of nice rabbits bouncing through the forest. I'm sure that there were many times when this took exact sacrifice. But the calling, beloved, is this. The calling is there's sin all out there. And that sin is right in here. And so my life better be centered right here. In the sacrifice for sin. In the mercy seat. The place where God dwells between the cherubim in all his holiness. The place where the angels peer in wonder and say, how on earth, how in heavens, how in the universe could you take your beloved son and pour the hatred and wrath and fire and judgment of all hell upon him for these people? How could you do that? Beloved, I don't know. I don't know, but thank God he did. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word which shows us your holiness and our need of it. Your word which shows us our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect law keeper, the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. And for your word tasted, as we are reminded again, fed by Christ really and spiritually, that He is our peace. In Christ's name.